Carter comes up shooting. Got it! 1.2 seconds to go! Vince Carter, you are amazing! Give it to me! A little baby black! Get that garbage out of here! <laughs> hey guys, how you doing today? It is Brandon Kajoka. I am back again. Podcast number nine. This is Toronto Basketball Matters. Um, unfortunately, Mr. Greg Yeroshadis is not with us this week. He is uh, out in Vancouver doing God's work. Uh, so I have a little bit of a fill-in today. The uh, my fellow half Asian brethren, uh, Mr. Christian Graffin. Shout out to the half Asians. The yeah. half Asian. This is this is a twin dragon podcast. I think of like us as like the half Asians in like Karate Kid, like the guy, the guy who like looks like kind of Asian, so they can cast him in a movie. But he's also kind of white, so he has like the mainstream sort of like white recognition as an actor. I think all half Asians need some sort of secret handshake or something that right. we can all do whenever we see each other, or like the motorcycle symbol when you walk. For by sure, them. it's oh, a complete necessity. Like if we were in. Karate Kid, I would definitely be Daniel Sun, and you for sure would be in Cobra Kai. <laughs> it, it's it, it might be the German in you, but it, it's definitely your Cobra Kai. 100%. I think that would be the German in me. Yes. Okay, so so uh, before I go into like a big spiel about the merits and the beauty of Karate Kid, I'm gonna jump right into a little bit of basketball talk. Um, Toronto Raptors fans, this is a Toronto basketball podcast. Um, not the greatest day for Toronto Boo. basketball fans, though. Uh, last night, a very, very disappointing loss to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, we're down 2-0. And just like last year, right? Yeah, but I think last year, it, what we had last year was that we had like a glimmer of hope. I know DeRozan and Lowry were playing like garbage last year. But our year. team's better to, on paper. Right. So you think realistically walking into Toronto ACC, we have any shot at being the Cleveland Cavaliers? 100% no. 100% <laughs> no? <laughs> no, I think, of course, we have a chance, but... Uh, no, Cle- Cleveland's going to beat us this series. I think we all know that. Well, I think the biggest, you know what, I'm not going to outright say that. I think this team has potential, and I think we have a lot of really, um, you know, we have a lot of interchangeable parts on this team that could contribute any given day. You know, we have guys that can take over games, in my opinion. We have, you know, like, if, the, if everything goes right, we could beat the Toronto Raptors. I digress. The problem is any given day, like you said. They can be hot one day and turn it on, and then all of a sudden another day they can be, well, what they were last night. No, that's an absolute. That's a great point. Um, you know, I think the biggest issue is how do we uh, how do we contain LeBron James? If can we contain LeBron James in any capacity? Can we limit him? Like, I think the biggest issue with him was that we kind of came in the series thinking that you know he had a really poor season when it comes to his free throw shots. You know, he was shooting a career low at sixty eight percent. Well, last night clearly proved something different. How many did he get again? Fifteen. He from from the, from the free throw line last yeah. night, man. He made 15 free throws. He yeah. went 15 from 21. Yeah. So you know that was our game plan. That was what we had to do to ensure you know yeah. like LeBron's going to put up points regardless. You know he's going to put up minimum 20 points every single night. But yeah. we had to bring bodies for him, initiate the contact, force him to take uncomfortable three point shots, and you know obviously shoot from the free throw line. That did not work last night. He went four for six from three last night. We'll talk okay. about comfortable. He was spinning the ball on his hand when Ibaka was covering him. Before he shot a three. Exactly. And, I mean, you have to be aggressive with LeBron. That's, I think, the only way to stop him. Right. And to stop the Cavs, I think you have to make LeBron do all the work. Uh, limit everybody else. Make LeBron be the workhorse so that maybe by the fourth quarter he is a little bit tired. It, again, there's no real way to stop LeBron. Right. But I think the way to, to push him. And we have to be more aggressive. I don't understand why we're not taking any more hard fouls or, or doing that's how any... we That's how we took over the Bucks matchup. You know, well, we initiated the contact. We, we were the tougher, more aggressive team. He's a better version of the Greek freak. And, you know, we found a way to contain him, but he didn't have Irving and Love and Channing Fry. 
Well, that's and, a great point. All these shooters around point. him. So yeah. it, it's a little bit different. Kind of going into the big man conversation, what is the value of Jonas Valanciunas in the series moving forward? Like, why is he so tentative? You know, what happened to Jonas's post-up game? You know, it's completely gone. You know, he, he he's a shell of himself. Like, last year, you know, the reason why we won game three and four was the improved play of Jonas Valanciunas. And the thought coming into the offseason, into this season, was Jonas turned a corner offensively. Yeah. You know, I've I, I've seen glimmers of that. I've seen glimmers of progression with Jonas. But overall, it's been an underwhelming development with him, especially coming in this postseason. Well, I, I see Jonas as well shooting threes on, you know, on Instagram. Like, he's practicing. He's not practicing his post-up anymore. I think the coaching staff has also told him, you know, go go away from the post game. We need you sort of getting more mobile and getting to well, well, that's get a, a shot, necessity really. though. He needs like, to get a shot. Like the biggest issue, like, hey, listen, Jonas had a fantastic night last night, okay? Like 20 minutes off the bench, you know, 10 for 13 shooting, five rebounds, you know, 23 points. Offensively a great game, but conversely on the other he played side. played the same minutes the you know, first game and had Chetty Fry stats. made five yeah. three-pointers yeah. last night. His inability to guard the pick and roll on the high, like on the top of the key, you know, Channing Fry, you know. I don't know why Valanciunas would ever be guarding Channing Fry. That's where you have to have a. That's why we got Ibaka to, right. to be mobile and to, to guard those kind of players. I feel like so I don't even understand why. Yeah, but he's what put happens in that position. When, when you have a Channing Fry at center and you switch off LeBron at the four? You know what I mean? Can, can Jonas even play in this matchup in the series? Well, they're they're matching him up against Tristan Thompson, or they were at first. And you know that, the regular season numbers work. of Tristan Thompson versus Jonas Valanciunas. And what are they? Tristan Thompson is averaging roughly eighty percent. He's eighty percent field goal percentage on the court against Jonas. On the flip side of the coin, Jonas is averaging thirty five percent when they're playing <laughs> against each other during the regular season. Yeah. This is you know on paper you like to think that we need a big physically imposing low post presence like Jonas Valanciunas in this matchup. But based on the numbers and based on what we're seeing, you know, he can put up numbers, but there are his defensive liability and his limitations are clearly coming out in this matchup, in this series. Yeah, he doesn't seem to fit. And, I mean, the matchup is, is either you have to have a mobile big and we go small. Like, I liked our starting lineup last night, actually, right. with, with Powell at the two and DeRozan at the three. It, it was good, I thought. But I don't like when we have – P.J. Tucker, I think, should be guarding LeBron at all times, which would make it a lot easier for everybody else. And Jonas can play – but he's got to play with the second unit because he can dominate the second unit of mm-hmm. Cleveland. But no, I don't think in the fourth quarter with five minutes left to go, like he, there's a reason he's not on the floor and there's a reason he hasn't been all year. Well, so I think schematically, Jonas Valanciunas is a dominant player in certain situations against certain teams. Absolutely. But, you know, obviously on the other side of the coin, when he plays other teams, he's a liability. Well, if you can't do it against Tristan Thompson and you can't do it against Greg Monroe, then how great, you know, how good can he really be? Because there's value in a guy like that, but not at, you know, $60 million a year. That's kind of what I'm trying to get at with Jonas Valanciunas. Um, moving on with that, though, um, incredibly underwhelming performance from DeMar DeRozan last night. 26 points per game in the regular season. I think he had one point going to the fourth quarter. Finished yeah, he with five epitomizes points. the Raptors right now. When he plays well, we do well. When he plays awful, we, we seem to do better. Yeah. So... I don't know. Last night seemed to be just not being able to get a shot, and as soon as they started guarding him uh, right off the dribble, he he was he was he couldn't hit it, and his free throws were terrible. I mean, pretty much every part of his game was pretty bad. Well, that was the issue there, free throws. You know, he went to the line what three times last night. Well, he couldn't shoot. I mean, if like De- that- if DeRozan can't shoot, that's that's pretty much his entire game. Right. Is is taking you know backing him up, pulling up for a two, and if he can't get that mid range shot or a free throw, then. He's going to end up with games like that. 
No, that's a great point. You know, like uh, I was kind of talking about this earlier today. Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan are fantastic basketball players. And I am, you know, as a Toronto Raptors fan, you know, I'm, I'm very happy that we have, you know, two well-respected stars on our, in our organization. It's just they don't have that second gear. You know, they don't have that LeBron James, you know, when the games matter, you know, when the game's more important, you know, he has the ability to kind of flip a switch and become a dynamic, dominant player. You know, I think from DeRozan and Lowry, what you see is what you get, basically. Yeah, well, it, it seems like they're not, you know, performing well in the playoffs. That, that seems to be the trend compared mm-hmm. to the regular season. And, of, of course, um, you know, DeRozan has shown that. But, I mean, last, last round, DeRozan played really well. Kyle Lowry, for me, has been the one that's, been disappointing all around great game last night though great game last night i haven't seen him take over though like he has you know even in the first half of this year that's a fantastic point he hasn't done that in how long now it's been a long time you you start to think the injury is starting to linger the one that was with his wrist something actually was was wrong and it seems to like carry over but now he's injured what are they going to do going forward with no, his, that's with a him fantastic being point. Even with you know his contract, you know, kind of coming up this year, he's not going to take that twelve million dollar option, obviously. So you does know, Delon start then, Corey or Joseph? You know, like I, oh, he got twenty two last we night. We have to have a come to Jesus moment as an organization <laughs> and figure out: Are we going to give Kyle Lowry thirty million dollars? You know, obviously his hometown, Philadelphia 76ers, seems like the most logical fit for him. Yep. And you know, for both parties involved, you know, having a savvy veteran like Kyle Lowry, you know, playing and facilitating the offense on a youthful team like the 76ers, or conversely, you know, continuing the trend of what we have right now, you know, continuing our performance. Like, do you think there's another level? Then can we get to another level with the current roster we have? Kyle Lowry, DeRozan, Valanciunas, and cast? Well, I mean, we'd have to get some shooters. It'd be the, it'd be the only way. Right. It, if we're going to go, and of course, there's there's two ways of looking at it. You can keep going with, mm-hmm. with the current core or sort of start to break it down. But I, I say, obviously, we have a good team. But LeBron being in Cleveland with the with Love and with Irving, it's like Golden State in the West. You know, look at San Antonio. Look at Houston. These teams are great. Right. They, they would win championships, but it just happens to be that there's a team that is almost unbeatable. Well, that's the boogeyman in the room for a lot of teams in general. You know what I mean? The well, Washington and Boston are both in the same boat Washington, as well. Washington, Boston, even in the Western Conference. You know, you got San Antonio. You know, you got yep. Houston as well. You know, Los Angeles Clippers. You know, it's you have a great team. You have a team yep. that can compete and finish in the top half of you know the Eastern Conference and Western yep. Conference, respectively. But are you going to beat the Golden State Warriors? Are you going to beat the Cleveland Cavaliers? And that's the issue with the NBA. You know, we can put together and we can assemble a fantastic roster, but are we fooling ourselves at thinking that we are ever going to be able to compete with Cleveland or Golden State? Well, I think a lot of people thought that after the trade with right. Ibaka, with Tucker. After the deadline, there right. was a lot. There were a lot of people in Toronto who probably thought, you know what, this is the t- kind of team it takes to, to beat Cleveland. Right. But we see now, after two games, nothing seems to have changed. So, I mean, Ibaka is not who we thought he was either. We thought he'd be much more of a rim protector as opposed to sort of a, a stretch four. And Tucker's playing fantastic. I think Tucker should be guarding LeBron James at all times. That's one of the ways I think you can kind of contain him. But Tucker has his physical limitations, especially his size and the people he guards. But you know that every single possession he plays, he's putting his entire heart on the court. You know what I mean? That guy... Well, it goes back to wearing him out, right? Exactly. It's just, you know that he's going to have to be... Gr- like, and that's LeBron what we knows. need to do, though. We need to throw bodies out of that man, yes. wear him out, force him to free throw the line. You like want to know where Valanciunas' has value? Those hard fouls. Whenever LeBron <laughs> ends up driving and coming inside, we need someone to foul LeBron hard. And that's where Valanciunas can come in. Absolutely. And you know what? Absolutely. Maybe 100%. take a... Fl- again, it's going to be different in Toronto because mm-hmm. the home crowd uh, for some reason the Raptors play 10 times better 
uh, seemingly in, in in ACC. So I don't know. We'll we'll see after game three because if they win game three in a decisive fashion, this whole series is kind of you know back on track. There's gonna be hope again. They lose it. It's it's over. Right. Yeah. No. I and and that's that's the Cleveland Cavaliers though. In a nutshell, you know, yeah. like even look at this past matchup against the Indiana Pacers, they kind of fuck around a bit. You know, they don't really take the whole game as seriously as they should. But they're also the kind of team that when push comes to shove and they have to take a game goddamn seriously, they have that next yeah. level they can get at, the next engine, right? Moving on to the next series, Utah Jazz and the Golden State Warriors. So obviously, we just talked about the Golden State Warriors, the best team in the NBA. They used to be my favorite team, and then they got all cocky and got fucking annoying. Durant. Yeah, no, I don't. Well, now Golden State, especially with Durant there, they're like the villain, right? Everybody wants them to lose. Uh, no, no, that's you, I, this is a whole different conversation. This is a separation between a free agent signing and a trade. But the NBA put their foot through the like, stepped their foot in between this trade of allowing Chris Paul go into the LA Lakers. Why isn't the NBA stepping in and saying it's not fair competition for Kevin Durant to sign the Golden State Warriors? It's just, you know, it doesn't seem like fair competition. No, and I mean, well, the big three in Boston, uh, obviously Miami, they all set this kind of standard. No, no, exactly. So it's hard. But listen, like the big three in Miami, the big three in Boston are fantastic. But adding Kevin Durant to an already dominant championship caliber team like the Golden State Warriors is just absolutely yeah. Who's the who's the big three in Utah? (laughs) <laughs> the George Hill factor. Um, so, kind of okay. Going to the Utah Jazz. Can well, they, I know, I know. Hayward had, well, Hayward had a terrible game. Four for fifteen. Yes. Yeah, so but he, he also is still recovering from food poisoning. Yes, and again, he's so important for that team. Oh, yeah. uh, they're such a team. They spread it out so much. Uh, I think they can win, especially at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a I'm a betting guy, so we'll see. The odds are always great for for the teams that. Golden State's facing, and they always give one or two games up in a series, it seems like. Right. Um, especially in the second round or, or further. So I can see them losing one of these next two games in Utah, and, you know, maybe both. We'll see. I don't see it happening, Graffin. I honestly don't. I, I think this team, I wouldn't say this team's pissed off, but I would say this team is playing for something bigger beyond the actual game itself. You know, Steve Kerr, you know, being sick on the sideline. I know it's kind of a cliche argument to bring in, but this team is playing for something bigger than the actual game. You know, I mean, motivation of dominance. You know, I think this team potentially could go undefeated in the playoffs, regardless who's a fucking head coach. Who is it, Mike Brown or whatever? Well, I mean, I don't think they're going to go undefeated in the playoffs. There's no, there's no way. I mean, if they face San Antonio or Houston next round, I think both of those teams could They could, could absolutely sweep either of those teams. They could. No, you're right. No, you're right. They, they could sweep... Everyone. Both and those then, teams are essentially one, led by one person. And then the Cleveland rest. in the East in the finals. You think they could sweep the whole thing? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, well, I mean, they're they're a great team. But I think the Jazz, again, the Jazz don't, they're not going to win this series. It's kind of like the Raptors right now. Like They're in the exact same position that the Raptors are in. If, if it wasn't for this dominant team that they had to face, and I mean, it's unfortunate for us because Cleveland finished in second. Right. So we don't really, des- you know, arguably deserve to face – a team of that dominance already in the second round, whereas, you know, Utah, I think their expectations as a team was making it against Washington or the Wizards, or sorry, not the Wizards, the Warriors, and then, you know, hopefully winning two games, and that that's a good year for them. Well, I think the one thing they were trying to prove, you know, especially coming to the playoffs, was that they can dominate, they can compete with the upper echelon in the NBA. I think beating the L.A. Clippers was proof in the pudding 
you know, to show that, you know, Gordon Hayward, who's a free agent this season, that this is a competitive team, it yeah. is a growing organization, and they do have pieces involved with the team that can jump to another level. And, and you know, Gobert is insane. Rudy I'm, Gobert, he is... Unbelievable. He, who knows what he can come, he, he can turn into. I mean, he's getting better and better almost every game. So, yeah, Utah will be good in the future. I think this year, if they make it to the second round and lose to the Warriors and you know, in six, that's that's a great year for them. So, random question for you right now, a little bit off topic. So, Utah Jazz coming off the heels of beating the L.A. Clippers. Look, Looking at the L.A. Clippers free agent situation in the offseason, you know, we got player oh options of Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, J.J. Reddick's a free agent. You know, we got massive contracts as well of Jamal Crawford earning $14.25 million. He got Austin Rivers getting that insane homework contract from his dad making, uh, you know, just under $12 million a season, I think, over the next four years. Yeah, that's ridiculous. What do you do to that organization? Do you let Blake Griffin and Chris Paul walk? You try to rebuild. You try to continue what you have going because that Lob City's been kind of mediocre for the last four or five years. You know what I mean? hundred. And aren't they wishing they traded Blake Griffin now? Well, I I, mean, I, I might sound crazy to say this, but I think you know, with Chris Paul's skill set as a playmaker, having a just Carmelo Anthony skill set on that team, you know, and having the consistency on the court as opposed to Blake Griffin, who you know only can play in certain times. The guy's so injury. In the last few seasons, right? I mean, I feel like they could re-sign everyone and then even make a trade in uh, next year and keep the same kind of core they have and then keep, you know, trade Blake maybe next year or even this offseason, even after like a sign and trade or something. Mm-hmm. But they need to – I think they have to keep going because Chris Paul is – Amazing. If Chris Paul leaves that team, then they have to blow Chris it up. Chris Paul's a great player, and Blake Griffin's a great player. You know what I don't understand? Maybe you can answer this for me. People's love for DeAndre Jordan and justifying that contract they gave him. If they, if they traded DeAndre Jordan for someone who's a good rim protector, able to spread out that contract by adding a great three stretch, like stretch three and a stretch four, like an Otto Porter Jr. or someone like that, you know what I mean? Well, I think Golden State also, when that contract happened, they were the ones who offered them offered DeAndre initially the a contract Dallas, and they, right? it was Dallas yeah. and then they had to match it. So I mean they were kind of forced into into matching a contract and that's hard. I think I don't know. DeAndre Jordan is not the best player, but he's the type of big that you need in the NBA these days. He's that type of stretch five that I think a lot of teams, like even the Raptors, would desire to have a shop blocker, someone who can finish easily in alley oop and someone who's great in the pick and roll. Um, that's that's the modern day big. Uh, otherwise, you get stuck with someone like Valanciunas, who's you know not very mobile, and and, and it's kind of sucks. So yeah, unfortunately, I think that's that's the way it's going. The trends. I look at that team though, and I think that team needs someone who can play the three position. The th- they've never had a small four. They never had someone they can depend on. Shooting has always been the issue with the Clippers. Space on the floor has always been the issue with that organization. Hence, why I would always support a Blake Griffin trade for Carmelo Anthony. You know, having yes. Chris Paul's ability to play in a spread offense, you know, distributing the ball like that, and having DeAndre Jordan in that situation in low post would be a fantastic opportunity for Chris Paul to really show what he can do as a point guard. But realistically, and this is my hope to God, that he opts out of his contract and signs up the San Antonio Spurs. I love the idea of a Chris Paul, Kawhi Leonard, Greg Popovich tri or whatever the fuck that is. Well, that, that, <laughs> that, that, that certainly would compete with Golden State. Yeah. I yeah, mean, yeah. And, but then it would be a two-team or three-team league. And it would piss people off even more because all the superstars are all going to one team. It's, I, I don't know. I, I like As a it. Raptors fan, I'd be pissed. Of so course. So going into the uh, San Antonio Spurs, 
Massive blow, massive loss. Tony Parker out for the playoffs. Um, what can can Centennial compete? You know, Tony Parker having a fantastic playoff performance. I think he averaged about ten points per game in the regular season. He's notched it up to sixteen. You're shooting five twenty six from the field, uh, five seventy nine three point percentage, and perfect from the free throw line, fourteen for fourteen. He's so underrated on that team. I find he's uh, he's quiet because he's not what he used to be, mm-hmm. but. It's going to be a big blow, and Patty Mills is going to be the one who has to step up. And I, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, it might be similar to game one going mm-hmm. forward, where Houston just sort of keeps dominating and keeps scoring because Parker's the one who, use, who facilitates the ball the entire time. So It's a spark offensively, though. That was the biggest issue. Those 14 points Spurs, are huge. Though. They're a defensive team, so they scored, you know, well, 90, whole- 95 points a game. They need those, those 14 points are massive for them. The whole issue with the Spurs, this playoffs, in my opinion, is secondary scoring. Kawhi can only do so much. You know, the team is composed of guys who were great maybe three, four years ago. And LaMarcus Aldridge, who's playing like what happened to LaMarcus? doo-doo. It's, yeah, it's, what happened it's to brutal him? to watch him play. I mean, I, LaMarcus Aldridge is one of those players that would benefit so greatly of Chris Paul, like you said, were, were to go there. He would kind of go back to what he was when he was with Lillard and, you know, had a great, a great point guard. Right. No, I, I, LaMarcus Aldridge's play is a com- complete befuffle for me. It's so goddamn confusing. I understand where the guys were And Gasol's Literally old. getting worse game by game. So that series can go any, honestly, any direction. Right. But I think... But there's Park- no secondary score for the Spurs. That's what I'm trying to get at. You know, Tony Parker out, who, beyond Kawhi Leonard, who is consistently going to show up every single night and put up 15 points for that team? Because I can't name a single guy. On the Spurs, no. I mean, they they're gonna have to just rely on Kawhi as much as possible, I think, and mm-hmm. and make sure that their bigs get way more points. I mean, Lamarcus Aldridge eventually has to step up, like we just said. No, he's absolutely. gonna be the one that he can shoot. I mean, he's gonna be the one who has to come in, and I mean, Popovich is the smartest coach. He'll figure out some sort of a, of a way and some sort of a scheme. But I before this series started, I would have bet on the Spurs, and now with Parker out, I probably would be betting on on Houston to win the series. I'm going Houston 100%. I can't see them losing another game in the series. You know, the, 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 the different offensive options they have on that team. You know, they have so many guys offensively who can create and distribute their, distribute and create their own shots. I'm the to prospect of Lou Golden Williams State or Gordon. Huh? and Houston. <laughs> a Golden State and Houston matchup would be, it would be like 140 to 130 every game. It would be a very interesting it, matchup it would be, sure. It would be great. So that would be one I'd want to see. I mean, I don't know. I don't think... I don't think it'll be a blowout going forward for Houston, but I think they'll, they'll win the series eventually. Great point. Moving on, Boston and Washington. Um, Boston up 2-0 right now. Isaiah Thomas, 18 for 33, 54 points. You know, the 14 highest total in one playoff game. And I think the first was, what, MJ with 63, Elgin Baylor 61, Barkley and MJ I think tied for 56. Anyways, what I'm trying to get at is Isaiah Thomas, what is his value in free agency? Does he deserving a max contract? Should the Boston Celtics throw him a five-year max contract? You know, the guy will be running into 34 on his last year of his contract, earning what, upwards of $30 million. They might potentially get the number one overall pick this year, Grafman. What would you go into the do in the offseason if you the were The number age? one pick is... The one reason why it's so hard. Yeah. It, it's so hard. I mean, we're going to get to a top 10 later, but, yeah, I mean, spoiler alert, but Markel Fultz is, is, is an unbelievable talent. And mm-hmm. to have someone like that ready and to get this first-round pick from the Nets, I think uh, maybe try to give him as much money as possible for like a two- or three-year contract. But I don't know if Isaiah is going to want to do that. So it's going to be hard. It'll be very interesting to see what they do. No, no, that's... <sighs> 
you know, I, I'll be completely honest with you. Like, uh, we had this conversation before the podcast, but, you know, Boston also has to have a come-to-Jesus moment to realize that they're not going to compete with Cleveland anytime soon with the current roster they have. Maybe Isaiah Thomas with Markel Fultz or whoever they draft in the first round could potentially compete with them at some point down the road. But this team needs to start from scratch and rebuild. Like, not complete what? rebuild, but I'm saying with Isaiah Thomas so blow him up? and facility to blow up the Boston Celtics. But that first-round pick, though, can also make sure that they don't have to blow like blow themselves up. What happens if they trade that pick for Butler, like everybody was saying at the deadline? Right. That make them – how much more competitive would they be in the playoffs this year if they had Jimmy Butler on their team? Yeah, but you're, So they have that first-round pick right now, and until, that, until they draft, they could use it to get anyone from any team who's looking to rebuild, basically. I just think a guy like Isaiah Thomas, a skill set, you know, what he relies on is quickness and speed, being such a small player. You know, at, you know, sort of the latter half of his career, at 29, signing a five-year contract, you know, I would take him to 34. You know, his bread and butter is quickness and speed. You know, once he loses that, you know, what what is he going to contribute offensively to a team based on his size? Yeah, and, and the similarity so, is to Iverson, right? Like right, he, right. So, what happened to him when he got Exactly. Older? So if you're offering Isaiah Thomas $30 million per year over five years— you know, you're taking a gamble thinking that he still will be a decent basketball player in the third, fourth, fifth year of that contract. That's a gamble I personally wouldn't make. I think Isaiah Thomas is playing fantastic basketball right now, but I don't think over the next few years he really will be the same player he is right now. I think we're talking about Isaiah Thomas in his peak prime right now. I think in the next couple of years he'll start, you'll start seeing a regression in his play because, like I said before, it's all about his legs and speed and quickness. It would be worth it, though, I think, for Isaiah to take some sort of a contract where he gets, you know, it's very front-loaded. And he gets a lot of the money in the first couple of years. And then the last couple of years, it'll give him the option to sort of see if he wants to leave, if the team's doing well or right. the team's not. And then, you know, sort of do the ring chasing thing when he's a little bit older. Or, I mean, for Isaiah, I think the way you can structure a contract, uh, it's possible to keep him on the roster. Someone's going to give him that contract, though. Someone's going to give him 30, 35, evenly split over five years. Yeah, but again, you don't like the average is there. But again, the overall money they can give them the same amount of money and just whether whether rookie contracts are there with all their good players right now, like you know Brown and if they got Fultz, then right. it would be it would be possible. Right. But so, I don't think they should blow up. So going back in the series, what what does Washington need to do to even out the series? Two zero right now. You know John Wall's fourth quarter defense against Isaiah Thomas yesterday was absolutely atrocious. And it should be so much better. You know, John Beal, Wall is such a good defender. I don't super athletic, super quick. You know, great lateral quickness. You know, Bradley Beal need to step up as well. Four for fifteen. You know, one for nine from three. For well, Bradley I think Beal. he's the key. I think Bradley Beal right there. He's like a CJ McCollum type player, and he is such a spark plug for them. Right. If he doesn't play well, it's it's almost like DeRozan for the Raptors. If he doesn't play well, it's so hard for them to win. No, that's a great point. And a big thing with this podcast we've talked about before, I'm a big Avery Bradley fan. I think Avery Bradley is one of the best lockdown shooting guards well, he, in the NBA. He's he one is. of the best defenders in the I NBA. I think he is. And the I, best I think we're clearly defender. seeing his value in the public spotlight, you know, against his Bradley against Bradley Beal, you know, one for nine from three for Bradley Beal. That's not a bad game. That's clearly an indication that the guy's guarding him is doing his fucking job. Right? Absolutely. He's the be- he is the best defender, perimeter mm-hmm. defender that that there is in the NBA and it's that's the one thing they have. And unfortunately, the two primary players are wing players, or the one and the two with Wall and Beal, mm-hmm. the two primary scorers. So they can, they can shut them down. It's unfortunate, but their best defender is taking on their best scorer. 
I think one of the bigger issues with this team as well has been their their bench. You know, they 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 try to make an effort where the latter half of the season Washington improved their bench. You know, they made that trade for Bojan McDonovich. You know, they picked off Brendan Jennings off free agency because Trey Burke wasn't doing dick all for that team. Um, but Bogdan- last night, you know, Bojan eight eight minutes, zero for two. You know, Brendan Jennings played eleven minutes, zero points. That team is so thin on their bench, and you know, Boston's known for their depth. You know, they got. Um, God damn, Jackson, last year he played for Notre Dame, Demetrius Jackson, John, who, who's in their D-League right now, who I think would potentially be a starting point guard on the Chicago Bulls, clearly an indication of how deep that team is. You know what I mean? The Boston can throw so many different looks off their bench. Washington's clearly bereft of options off the bench, right? But why is Bogdanovich playing eight minutes? That To me, that's that's one thing where in the regular season, when they got him... You know, when they first acquired him, he was doing so well, and mm-hmm. he was such a he was there. He was easily looking to be sort of a six man, you know, uh, second half of the year kind of candidate, and he was so he was that spark plug that they needed, and they could use him so much better. Eight minutes to me means that obviously they're overworking and they're really trying to make it work with Beal. Mm-hmm. So I think they have to use Bogdanovich a little bit more, especially since they're a little bit thin uh, up front. Right. No, I I complete like it's that's Scott Brooks for you though. Like Scott Brooks, you can see him when he was back on Oklahoma, regardless of what how <laughs> Russell Westbrook is shooting, he would still leave him on the court. You know what I mean? Same and do you thing think that's the problem with with Washington? Is, no, is, I think is the coach. I, listen, I was not a big Brooks fan coming the season, but Washington kind of like I, Brooks is like a motivator. You know, he's on a. A scheme guy. He's not a numbers guy. He's, he's a guy done well in his it. career, though. I mean, he's taken teams pr- like you know, obviously OKC. Okay, so he's, he's a great leader. I think he's a great coach. I don't think that's. I don't think that's necessarily the issue. I think it's just he. he the guys on the bench need to prove to the coach that they can play. Like like I said before, you know, Bojan playing eight minutes and doing essentially nothing in those eight minutes. Brendan Jennings eleven minutes doing nothing in those minutes. Those guys need to prove to Scott Brooks that they can actually play. You know what I mean? Like, Bradley Beal's proved in the past that he can drop 30, 40 points any given night. John Wall's a goddamn superstar. Gortat's well, dependable night in, night out. These guys aren't consistent enough, and I, I don't blame Scott Brooks for being a little hesitant of putting guys who are just clearly not playing well on the court. Well, I would assume Washington's going to win at home one of the two games, maybe both. But who knows? This could be like the Cleveland series against uh, the Pacers, right. where all the games will be very, very close, but in the end, Boston just has that edge at the very end of the game. It looks like they want it more at the end of every single game. Even when they're down, there's always a belief they can come back, mm-hmm. whereas when Washington's up, it looks like they're just trying barely to hold on. So, I don't know. The, the, the team in the fourth quarter of Washington is so... I think Washington's one of the more talented teams. Probably more talented, maybe, than Boston in their starting five. But, but the heart... And, I mean, Isaiah Thomas is right now playing so well yeah. and he's playing with a purpose like we were talking about earlier mm-hmm. th- there's someone who's playing you know for a, for a reason and right now there's no real way to stop that right no no for sure and that's kind of a weird thing to say this whole thing started with Rajon Rondo getting injured uh-huh. so moving on uh, the last I hate little, Rajon uh, Rondo <laughs> <laughs> The, uh, the last segment we got today, we're going to talk about the NBA draft. You know, Greg knows NCAA basketball, but he's not the biggest mock draft aficionado in the world. So, Graf and I are going to sit here and go down uh, 1 draft. to 10. Mock draft! <laughs> Twin dragon! Double dragon! All right, um, so, Graffin, number 10, Sacramento Kings. Who you got and why? Well, taking the man out of France. Oh, number ten. Number ten, yeah, and Frank. You know, I'm taking Frankie, and he. Some people might take him a little bit 
maybe a little bit earlier or maybe a little bit later. I have him with Sacramento. I, I love Frank. He plays really, really well. I think Sacramento needs a guard. Mm-hmm. Um, again, they're, they're so young. They could honestly use almost any position right. at this point. But just in terms of for number 10, talent on the board that's left, I think he'd be, he's obviously the best one. Even though they have a pick just above them, and even though you know, I'm going to say they're picking another guard probably for that pick, I have. So, uh, regardless, I think guards for them, they're going to pick the best player on the board. So you're going Frank. I'm going with Frank. I got Dennis Smith Jr., man. I got Dennis Smith Jr. at 10. 10th. From North Carolina State. Listen, man, I think he's a fantastic basketball player. A little bit inconsistent from the outside, but he's an athletic freak. Not the greatest playmaker as a point guard, but he's very, like, Russell Westbrook-y. But I just, he hasn't played in any really big games. His team didn't make the tournament. The ACL kind of scares me a little bit. Yeah, his ACL injury last year as well. You know, being such a physically dominant player, like he depends on his athletics to basically get to the, like drive the lane. You know, he's not a great three-point shooter. I think he could be a great player, and I think he could develop a new superstar. I think he has a very high ceiling, but I wouldn't put him above Frank, personally. Well, that's where it is right there. His ceiling is so high. Right. So... For me, I mean, Frank, again, talk about not really playing with, with competition. Frank, right now, playing in, you know, in France, and we haven't really seen a lot from him so far. We know what he brings, but... I got Frank at 9 for me, going to Dallas. Okay. Very well, close for me, very close for me. For me, Dallas, it's Monk, so... You got Malik Monk going to Dallas. Why, Malik, why do you got Malik Monk, Monk going to all, Dallas? All the way there, yeah. I mean, again, the, just the ability to, to shoot from deep. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what Dallas is. When they won the championship, they were a team that shot a whole bunch of threes with the Jason Terry's and, and all that. I, I think they like that kind of style of play. And, I mean, Dirk's coming back. But now that they have Noel there, uh, down protecting the rim and getting boards, he's kind of like a DeAndre Jordan type player. Mm-hmm. I mean, they get a lot of shooters. They they can get hot. And they're developing. They're not a team that, again, is going to is fighting for any championship anytime soon. They're probably going to finish maybe around the same position as last year, get another top 10 pick, and, and rebuild that way. So I think Monk has a lot of potential as well. And again, he could turn into such a good score. Right. He, you would say a high ceiling is McCollum, CJ McCollum probably? I, I got I got Frank Nikilna, Nikilna. I don't know what I'm saying right now. Frank, I'm going to call him Frank. Yeah, <laughs> Frank. Him Frank. Frankie, Frankie. <laughs> I got Frankie going to Dallas at nine. Um why is that? I think Malik Monk's a great fit, but they've committed financially to Wesley Matthews already. You know, Wesley Matthews isn't the same player at the Achilles injury, but he's still a great shooting guard, regardless. Not okay. Let me let me go back. He's not a great shooting guard, but he's a competent shooting guard. You know, Yogi Ferrell, as, going into next season as a starting point guard, I wouldn't I wouldn't have a lot of faith in that. I'd like to get a guy that you can build on and Frankie, you know, a big, long, athletic guy who can switch off a multiple. Oh, he can shoot so well, as well. He's a he's a great shooter already at this point of his career. You know, the small sample size and tape I've seen of him, he looks like a competent like textbook point guard who can switch off in other positions and guard the two or three. I just think Frank is such a versatile player overall. That's why I have him above Dennis Smith Jr. At eight, though, it's interesting to Sacramento. So we have Dennis Smith Jr. going there. At eight for me, I got Malik Monk. I think Malik Monk is very similar to Buddy Heald. But I think Sacramento needs to kick a gamble on a guy that can put 20 points per game because that's what the team doesn't have. They don't have a guy offensively who can come in on a nightly basis and just put up points. There's not a guy they can depend on offensively. And listen, Malik Monk might not be that guy, but I think based on the options available at that at number eight, you know, Malik Monk is the best option to have a guy you can score. I would. That's where I have Dennis Smith Jr. 
So eight. for me, I have Sacramento taking him and and Frank. So two guards, and again, like you just said, Buddy Heald. I I, I know they have faith in them, and the owner has faith in them. Mm-hmm. But again, they can develop with three young guards like that very very well. And I don't know, man. Did you see the Phoenix Suns when they did the Bledsoe Knight and Goran Dragic experiment? That didn't really work out too well for them. No, but Phoenix. I was on Knight Thomas. Sorry, Isaiah Thomas. <laughs> Isaiah, yeah, and well, Isaiah Thomas wasn't playing. Like Isaiah Thomas, he was a six man back then. Yeah. So I mean, I think that is, he's again, he's so athletic and his potential so high that Sacramento, I think, is going to take the best player on the board. And at that time, I think I would take him higher than Monk, just because of his athleticism alone. The 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 history scares me, especially the ACL. Right. But he's his ability to get to the rim and he finishes so well in contact. I think those are some things that you look for for p- players that are NBA ready. And being able to finish with contact is huge. It's a huge indicator. I think the fact that they're such different players, you know, is schematically the reason why they could sort of play off each other. You know, like Frank is would probably be the more dominant ball handler in that sort of situation. But his defensive acumen, his length, would sort of masquerade Smith's deficiencies as well. I, I think that could potentially work out. I like they all make sense realistically. This is all speculation, but I do I do like that matchup with Sacramento. So who do you have uh, New York taking then? I got I got Deron Fox going to New York Knicks. Um, you know, and and listen, I, I'm the number one guy to say that. You know, Deron Fox absolutely dominated Lonzo Ball. So I also have Deron Fox going to going to New York. Right, so. right, but but just you know. You know, taking all the external tangibles and discussion and speculation of the draft, you know, and Deron Fox's ability to create his own shot and shoot in general is probably the main reason why I think he should behind, be behind Lonzo Ball. Listen, Deron Fox can develop a jumper, but right now, the way it looks, he's not going to be a competent three-point shooter, and that is what you kind of want out of a point guard in the NBA. But his speed, you know, it's very John Wall sort of situation coming out of college. You know, same sort of university, same situation at Kentucky of John Calipari. Look, the Knicks need I, a point guard. I, I think Deron Fox athletically could evolve into a John Wall s type of player. And I think for for what's left on the board um, at that position, uh, that's the perfect position for them sort of to draft. Because again, I the way I have it is a couple forwards going right. going right before him. But he's, he's he fits the bill perfectly in New York. They 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 screwed up with Derrick Rose. The that experiment obviously didn't really. Didn't really work you know, very well. Like, like Derrick Rhodes at the start of the season is like calling this team a super fucking team. A super team. We got a super team. We got Carmelo Anthony and Joaquin Noah. Like, the team needs to start from scratch. And I think Deron Fox is someone that can, you know, is a great starting piece to pair with Kristaps Porzingis. You know, like a great playmaking point guard to play with Kristaps. There's other massive holes on that team. But that's a great way to start rebuilding that franchise. Well, he pushes the pace, and I think... Again, yeah, working, playing with Kristaps would be great because he needs a, po- a great point guard to sort of do well. But mm-hmm. I think he has a competitiveness in him. Like you saw it when he faced Lonzo Ball and they sort of faced off, and he torched him. He destroyed Lonzo Ball in the Sweet 16. So I, I don't know. I think he has that little bit of an edge to him where if he's seen as an underdog, he always wants to sort of come back and, and prove himself. And he plays a little bit like Derrick Rose kind of when he did, like in his prime, I feel like. He's, he's a slasher. He really pushes the pace a lot. It'll be interesting to see how he plays in that sort of triangle offense, though. That's the only thing I don't know if he's really... Well, he's a great, he's the, a great ball distributor. He's a great passer. It, it's, it's like, I think he'd be a great... I think it's like Rojan Ron would be great in the triangle. I think Darren Fox would be great in the triangle. Uh, moving on, we got Graffin. Who you got number six? Timberwolves. 
I got Lori Markennan. As do I. You do as well. Good, sir. Okay. I do. I, do. I, uh, I think we're probably going to have the same. Well, he fits Minnesota so well. Right. Right. I mean, I think that's that's the main thing. Um, they have Chris Dunn already, so taking people like Fox or Smith or, or Frank. It's a little even. bit redundant. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So it doesn't really make sense for them, I think. But. Uh, but he's he's great. He's a he's again. This would be sort of the first big man that we're talking about. So it's a little bit different. And I only really have two, sorry, three big men in in the top ten. So what he brings is is huge. I think he's a good shooter, and because of that alone, it's he makes him ready for the NBA in this kind of modern age. I like like my only issue with Larry McCannon on the Minnesota Timberwolves is he's he's kind of a liability defensively. But I like schematically that's, that's putting Minnesota. Him, yeah, but Minnesota <laughs> putting Towns with Gorgie Deng for the majority of the game, bringing Markanen off the second unit, and putting Markanen in the crunch time in the fourth quarter. You know, that's a great offensive unit to put out there. And the, and the interchangeability of putting Deng as a predominantly defensive option at the four and bringing Markanen off the bench as kind of like the offensive focal point. Well, that's exactly how I would, would use him, as sort of that offensive six. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, the six man. So, that, that way you can put in some defense with Deng mm-hmm. at the end of the game. But if you're down... You can obviously go go this way. So I think he'd be a fit. Minnesota is such an offensive team, but it's weird because they have such a defensive coach. Well, that's my justification for not taking Malik Monk because his skill set's very similar. He's not as athletic as Levine, but you know, some sort of player. You know, a pure offensive three-point shooting option. I, I, I just yeah, I think Larry McCannon schematically would make the most sense for the Timberwolves. And uh, I guess Orlando. Orlando, I got uh, Jonathan Isaac. Orlando needs so much help. Like in, in, in general, like everything. I have Tatum. Tatum. Jason yes, Tatum. I have Jason Tatum going there. So um, Isaac, I have going. Oh, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. But anyways, I have Jason Tatum going uh, from Duke. And again, Orlando needs so much help. It's it's they're so much different than the Timberwolves. Right. But they could use improvement. It seems like. Well, I was torn between these two guys, Tatum and Isaac. And you Isaac, know, both yeah. small forward. But I, I think Tatum's proved already with Duke that he's an, a competent offensive option. He is a, He's already established his skill set. He's already shown what he's capable of doing at a professional level. He looks like a professional basketball player playing for a pro-level offense, a pro-style offense, rather, with Duke. I, I think taking Isaac, like, Isaac is a great basketball player, and I think what he has going is his length, his potential, his size. You know, all that shit involved with him physically, the potential he has as a player it's a it's a great option, but I just think Jason Tatum is a readily sort of like the, he's already a pre-established product is what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, well, he's just again he's long and just having a like a nice big wing player uh, would be great. And you kind of think of him working with Aaron Gordon at the four and Terrence Ross at the three or sorry at the two, and then developing through that. I mean, if they were to get a point guard, I mean the team needs help and they're going to develop for the next I say two years mm-hmm. probably. Um, but, yeah, I'd say also he's probably the best guy on the board at the time. I, I got Tatum going a little bit higher, but the reason I picked Jonathan Isaac, and he, he may have dropped, I guess, a bit, but I think he has such a high ceiling but such a low, low floor. You know what I mean? Like, he could be a complete shit basketball player. He could come in the league and just never develop the player we idealize. But I think Jonathan Isaac has a skill set to be a dominant MVP caliber basketball player as well. And that's what Orlando needs to do. They've been drafting for how many years now? You know, I think at one point they had three top five draft picks and what, Mario Horzonia, Gordon, and uh, Victor Oladipo. Three years in a row where they had a top five draft pick and they couldn't draft a superstar. 
this is a time in the draft where they need to gamble on a guy who could potentially be that guy, the face of the organization type. The old, the last guy they had who was a, like a legit superstar was Dwight Howard. After that, it's been nameless faces. Like they really haven't been able to develop any of their players. I just think exactly for the point you said though, they can't take that chance. Like what if they take that chance and Isaac, like you said, like uh, or or yeah, exactly like you said, is doesn't really pan out that well, and then his ceiling isn't as high as they thought it would be, and then all of a sudden it's seen as another bust. I mean, they can't take that risk. They kind of have to go conservative, I find. I think in comparison to his, their last draft picks, though, like I think Aaron Gordon, you know what I mean, was a f- athletic freak. They were, they were banking off of athleticism. You know, I think with Mirhur Zanya was, you know, his, his me- mental disposition, his demeanor, his three-point shot. Um, I think Victor Oladipo was, you know, his ability to be interchangeable off one two position. I think with Isaac, we're talking about a guy who's could potentially be better at all those skill sets mentioned uh, all well-rounded, you know what I mean? Like as one player, like he's a full package to me. I just unfortunately don't think he'll be left on the board, uh, Isaac. There, so that's okay, why. So I, that's got why going I have Tatum. So I have Seventy Sixers taking Isaac. So yeah. that's why. That's one of the main reasons why I have Tatum going going there because they need sort of a, a bigger player. Um, so they need someone, you know, not a point guard. I don't think yet. Mm-hmm. And and Isaac going to Philly uh, works because Philly certainly doesn't need a point guard. I would say uh, we've been talking about it earlier with Kyle Lowry potentially going there, but they still have Ben Simmons, right? And their team is so young, um, they could really go in any direction. I think so. I would go with Jonathan Isaac there, like you said. They can kind of take a chance. They have so many young players right now that you already know where they can go and how high their ceiling is going to be. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of trust them. So I feel like if anyone can take a chance on a young player, Philly's that team sort of on a draft. And like you said, Jonathan Isaac's ceiling is so high that if they were able to get him, they could really sort of mold him and teach him the ropes slowly and bring him along. And I think he could just develop in Philly, you know, probably one of I, the best. I just feel like Isaac's size and his skill set's a little bit redundant with Ben Simmons. You know, I think Isaac's a substantially better shooter, but I think, you know, interchangeability of three and four, you know, you know, Ben Simmons is more of a point forward, better playmaker than Jonathan Isaac, but I think their size and the position they would be playing on the court and who would be guarding would be sort of... You know, be crossed. In an ide- I think ideally, though, they're using Ben Simmons as their point guard. Right. So that but you're gives ta- them- we got to talk about like ball distribution. Like Dario Sarge is going to be a starter. Joel Embiid, hopefully, knock on wood, is going to be a starter as well. Yes. You're adding Ben Simmons in the conversation, and you're also going to be adding Jonathan Isaac. We're talking about th- four guys who all are about six foot eleven, seven feet. Yes, but they all play. I mean, Ben Simmons would be playing the one. Ben Simmons can't shoot though. But that's why he's the distributor. And again, he he can't shoot. He, well, I mean, he can't shoot really off the dribble, but I mean, he can shoot in isolation a lot. So mm-hmm. again, I think Ben Simmons is going to be a is going to be a superstar. See, for me, I, he's going to be so good. I think he's going to be a great basketball player, but I think we got to look at his limitations realistically and start putting players around him so he can show off his skill set, so he can be the player he should be. But Isaac is again, like you said, a shooter. Right. So Ben Simmons is a ball distributor. So if he's able to get that ball, kick it out to people like Isaac and, and shooters on that team, mm-hmm. uh, even Dario Saric, then and they have MB down low. They could play that kind of basketball, and they can, again, grow, grow a lot with them. See, I got, I got Lonzo Ball going to Philadelphia 76ers. 
Okay, so you have him fourth. I got Lonzo not dropping in the to four. top three. Not in the top three. I got Lonzo going to four. Is that because of Big Baller Boys brand? Big uh, Levar Ball. Def- <laughs> no, for like uh, all joking aside, I think Levar Ball is one of the biggest, one of the bigger reasons why ha- he should be dropping in the draft. I think teams should be concerned about drafting a guy with a father who has a character of a guy like Levar Ball. Like, I, it's absolutely disgusting the pressure he's putting on his kid. You I mean, know, the, these he's not his agent, though. though. Like, he so, shouldn't be speaking on the behalf of his, his son whatsoever, though. He should shut his goddamn mouth and let his kid prove how good he is on the court. Like, his dad doesn't need to pump him up. Lonzo Ball proved to everyone how grave a fucking point guard he was this season. I got him going to Philadelphia 76ers because of his ability to shoot the ball. I'm not quite sure how that will translate to the professional level because I'm always concerned when people bring up, well, he has a little bit of a kink in his shot. You know, that's that's goes you, in. yeah, but that's uh, <laughs> uh, the the way his ball, you know, I just knocked my goddamn. <laughs> well, Steph way, Curry way, shoots weird ball, too. He's gonna get blocked. He right? stopped every goddamn shot. My, my, he's so he's got the size though. He's he knows how to create space. So you think he's Lonzo Ball can change his mechanics as a basketball player? I don't think he has to change his mechanics as a basketball player. I think player. he'll get stuffed every single shot. You can't shoot so low. He's, he doesn't he's rise above. He's got the size. Look at other point guards in the league. He's going to be able to rise above them. Okay. Regardless, though, I think Lonzo Ball is a good is a good potentially a good shooter. You agree that he's a good shooter? I'm on the fence, but regardless, that's what Philadelphia needs. Like we talked about, Ben Simmons being the primary ball distributor on my team. You know what I mean? Having a guy like Lonzo Ball, you know, who can not only create his own shot, but be a spot-up shooter as well, is what that team needs. I look at that team. You, you, but then you, what position does, does Simmons play if play- you have Lonzo Ball playing the one? I got Lonzo Ball playing the one. Um, I guess number two... That's a, you know, like, realistically, you could talk about them drafting Malik Monk schematically, and that make make the most sense, right? Um, but... You know, I got Lonzo Ball, what, Ben Simmons, Daryl Stark, Joel Embiid, and then I guess their shooting guard would be maybe Kyle Anderson, maybe Nick Stauskas. I'm not quite sure who that would be at this point. but yeah, I mean, Nick, Nick Stauskas, should, I guess, should be better than he is. He's yeah. He was Clay Thompson, right? He was supposed to be, according to the Kings GM. Heartbreaking, man, <laughs> heartbreaking. Uh, so, Graffin, you got a three, buddy. Okay, well, that's where I have Ball. Okay. So, Ball is in my top three, not, not number two for mm-hmm. me. Um, but Ball for the Lakers, I mean... It just makes so much sense, doesn't it? I mean, I think personality-wise and like reputation of city-wise, they're like it takes a kind of character to play in LA, and I think he's got that type of personality. I think his dad has a voice to talk on behalf of his son. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I think that's the situation. His dad's gonna be doing all the fucking. But he still played so well this year, and he played well though. Well, his dad was talking all year long, and he kind of just seems to ignore it. Not in the most important game of the year, though. No, and that's the game that his dad, dad guaranteed that they're going to win as well. Right. Right? So, I mean, uh, I still have him number three. The Lakers, I think, would be the fit for, for Ball. Um, the only issue then is Russell. What do you do with D'Angelo Russell? Well, that's why I got Jason Tatum going three. You know, you look at that roster and what they're missing is an immediate offensive guy. You know, you have, you have what about Ingram? Is Ingram going four then? Ingram's a three. Ingram three, Randall four. Okay. And where does Tatum go in then? Two. Okay. Tatum's a decent spot-up shooter, but he's a great offensive player who can create his own shot, and that's what the team needs. You know, Ingram's a little bit raw. You know, Russell's uh, could develop into a great ball distributor. Clarkson be a great six-man, and Randall's been playing fantastic, especially last season. I think Tatum, a guy who can create his own offense like that, like a steady presence like that on the court every single night is what that team needs. They don't need another guy with uber potential. They need a guy that can come in already as a pre-established starter, a guy who can immediately chip in points, and that's, I think, Tatum. A guy who 
you know, has a very, very high floor and low ceiling. I think Tatum could be an 18, 20 points per game kind of guy, consistent night in, night out, and I think that's what the Lakers need personally. Well, for me, I think it's more about taking the best player on the board at the three position. And um, Tatum might fit better, but I think the Lakers need to just build up the assets. Mm-hmm. And they could play with two, you know, sort of point guards with Russell and and um, Lonzo Ball on the floor at the same time. They can do that for a while because it's not like they're giving up a lot of a lot of a lot of scoring. Right. I mean, right. they're both scorers. If anything, it would be defense. And Lonzo Ball's got the size for that. So if anything, you can move D'Angelo almost to it too. He loves to shoot anyway. That's a great point. D'Angelo and then that way, too. you know, you kind of open the floor up. He kind of only guards the worst, the worst of the two wing players. And then, you know, the Lakers can actually maybe make the, the playoffs. <laughs> Dare I say it? I just think Levar Ball has talked his son out of a top three position. That's what she would tell Well, eh, you'll never see what happens. I just, I, I, I just, uh, it seems like it's just an icky fit. You know what I mean? He's a great. I think he, he's a great player. He's so talented. His ceiling is what? Who, who do you think? Who do you think he would compare to his highest ceiling for for Lonzo Ball would be? Steph Curry. Really? So, I mean, that's that's what his dad said. So it looks like you're buying the hype. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, eat, I'm eating it up. So I'm assuming we got the same two and one graph. And why do you have Josh Jackson going to the Phoenix Suns? Well, I love Kansas. I mean, that's my team. So uh, obviously, I wanted to put him. Uh, <laughs> Go Jayhawks. <laughs> yeah. But no, I have uh, I have Josh Jackson above Lonzo Ball, which I guess that's kind of the debate, right? Everyone right now is talking about in the top three, who's going to be there. I guess, and it's going to be either Josh Jackson. So Josh Jackson played really well in the tournament. He played um, great in the second half of the season. You know, I think his biggest issue was that exactly. he could not shoot the three-point shot for the life of him, and then he started developing a little bit of consistency. So it's a clear indication that he's not a great three-point shooter, but he can develop into it. Like, he can be taught. Like, he can go through practice. He can host 100 three-point shots a night. You know, he can develop into I mean, this draft more. is so deep, so any uh, other year, this would be a guy who probably would go first. Yeah, lockdown defender, athletic freak. And again, the... My ceiling, I would say, comparison is maybe Kawhi Leonard and maybe even like a Jimmy Butler is probably like around what he might end up. I like, I think, being. I think Jimmy Butler is a more fair comparison, but you know, again, I think he has Ka- to develop the shot mm-hmm. a little bit more, but he's such a good defender and he's athletic as could be. Uh, he loves to dunk. I, I don't know. Josh Jackson for me is. Again, instead of Markel Fultz, of course, he has the highest ceiling, I think, in this draft. And Markel Fultz going number one. Number one to the Boston Celtics. Why do you get Markel Fultz going number one, Graffin? He is obviously the best player in this draft. He just has – I don't think there's a weakness to his game. Uh, like, can you name one? Well, you got a lot of media members. You know, I'm going to name uh, Bill Simmons, for example, who are stating that as a Boston Celtics fan, if they do get the number one overall pick – He's taking Lonzo Ball over Markel Fultz. Why is he wrong? What makes Markel Fultz a better basketball player than Lonzo Ball coming in this draft? If you're Danny Ainge, what is your reasoning as to why you're not picking Lonzo Ball? Well, I saw the game where they faced each other and um, this year when it was UCLA mm-hmm. and, and Washington State. And Markel Fultz, I mean, he didn't have as much of a team around him, obviously. But just the way that they play, uh, Markel Fultz, the way he drives to the rim, he can do everything. He can distribute it. Mm-hmm. But... Again, he's just explosive as could be. I think his ceiling is a like almost like a mix of like a Harden and like a and like a Westbrook. He he plays so well that um, I don't know. It, for me, on Bo- on Boston, he has enough potential to push someone like Isaiah Thomas out. 
Like, that's how good he is. And Isaiah Thomas is playing so well right now that they potentially could keep their pick and move Isaiah. Well, it's a combination of his potential and how he's a proven commodity already. You know, he's the type of guy that can come into the NBA and, like I said about Jason Datum, immediately contribute to the team's offense and defense as well. Like, he's got length, he's got size, he can guard multiple positions. Do you think he's similar to Kyrie Irving? I think he's more of a James Harden type. I see more more James Harden. I see more of an attacker offensively. Um, I think he's a better scorer. I think he could be a better scorer than Kyrie Irving. I think he has more size. I think his... he has more, he's more broad a shoulder. I think he can grow into his frame a little bit more. I think he's barely bigger than James Harden in college. Again, the fact that all these guys are freshmen, too, is just it, we're evaluating them all off one year mm-hmm. as opposed to some other players that have come into the NBA recently that are great and have gone you know, a little bit deeper. But These I, are all freshmen, right? They're all, they're all freshmen. Yeah. Every, every single one of them are freshmen. You know, so, the crazy thing about this, like I'm looking at our top ten, I think we have the same guys in our top ten, right? The only people who right. didn't play in the NCAA tournament were Dennis Smith Jr. and Markel Fultz. That's insane. Right. You barely see that. All right, guys, that is the end of our podcast. Uh, shout out to Greg Yerushadis saving the children uh, out on the West Coast or whatever he's doing. Uh, the The sport doctor. Um, he'll be back next week. Uh, hopefully the Raptors will still be in the playoffs. That is Christian Graffin. Thanks for having me. He'll be back uh, with us at some point, maybe next week as well. Uh, thank you very much, guys, for listening. Have a fantastic rest of your evening. And go Raps. Go Raps. Go Raps.